Um, yeah, nice to be with you here. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I actually wrote that by notes. I'm gonna be. I'm a little bit nervous, and um, I'm up here, and I realize I am nervous. Um, particularly because there's a lot of new people. I'm always worried that, like, you know, I'm speaking on the night, like some new person's here, and they're like, "Man, this message was really bad." I'm never coming back again. So, you know, a big fear of that. Uh, so, uh, you know, if it's not great. Um, yeah, peace be with you. Uh, come back next week. I'm sure Rose will have something great in store for you guys. Uh, look, um, um, yeah, thought to shake some of the cobwebs. Um, today I'm going to be speaking on the parable of the feast, the parable of the banquet. Um, and I thought maybe I'll share a story about myself to kind of, you know, shake those cobwebs out. Um, and um, I thought a food-related story would be fun, food-related fact. Um, so my food related fact is, as a child, um, I only had one vegetable I would eat, my favorite vegetable, uh, which was watercress. Um, sorry, I'm sorry, it was like a very niche vegetable. Uh, but, but I would only eat it um, if it was kind of boiled in a soup, um, kind of a pork bone soup with um, watercress, which is how you know, we ate it at home, uh, and I refused to have any other vegetables. And my parents' strat to try to get me over that was um, kind of a family approach. Um, so she would hold out broccoli and be like, this is um, watercress's brother. And then she'd go, this is Watercress's cousin. And it, it actually just legitimately is a family tree. Of, um, and I ate it right up, eh? Absolute idiot child. They look nothing alike. Broccolis and Watercress. They don't, I don't know how I thought that was the case. Anyway, um, so today we're going to be looking at Luke 14 um, in the continuation of our series in Luke. Um, and yeah, I'm going to just start by reading um, the first part of Luke 14. The, the, the parable kind of is in the... Second half, but I think the context helps. And um, yeah, maybe if we, if you want to close your eyes or just listen, and I will comfort you with my soothing voice. <laughs> One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if any one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you both will come up to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important seat. But when you are invited, take the lowest seat, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and for those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his hosts, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at a table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, and here's the parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell all those who had invited, Come, for now everything, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yokes of, yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who've been invited will get a taste of my banquet. Um, yeah, it's a pretty um, intense passage. Um, and I think I kind of reading through um, the, the two um, chapters and kind of wanting to pick a particular aspect. I think this particular parable stood out to me um, for, for several reasons. Um, so here we are. Um, with Jesus at the dinner of a prominent Pharisee. So we, we know he's of some importance to the community. And, and during this dinner, um, Jesus proceeds to tell what they call two parables regarding the dinner table. Um, and it's so often in the Bible, I've realized that Jesus' story revolves around feasting and food, right? The first miracle Jesus, um, we, we're told Jesus does is at a wedding feast when he turns water into wine. Um, Jesus' entire story of the gospel narrative is dining with people who are seen as sinners or outcasts. And consider, for instance, the story of Zacchaeus, where he sees Zacchaeus on a tree and says, come down, I will dine with you in your house tonight. Or when the prodigal son comes home, the father instructs that the fattened calf be killed so they can celebrate and feast together. Or the fact that um, in Jesus' last supper, he, he offers the bread and the wine as, um, as a feast, as a food for us to um, consume. Food and who Jesus dines with finds itself interweaved through the narrative of the Gospels. And no more than in this parable where we see him eating at a dinner table and then talking about the dinner table. And maybe that's why it's so gripping for me. I was thinking about that. And in my culture, um, I'm Chinese, Malaysian. Um, so our food plays the utmost of central roles. Um, dinner is a form of social connection. It's a place where we form a relationship. It is a place of sharing. It's a place of utmost where respect is shown to each other. Um, every Chinese dinner is full of custom, ritual, symbolism. Um, even our Chinese New Year celebrations, which are our most important celebrations, are basically a series of feasts at different people's houses. So you go and eat your immediate family's house, then your extended family, and then other people who... Might, I don't really know exactly the order, because I just kind of go along and eat. Um, but... Um, and and it's, I think it's no, not too different from what we see here. Who Jesus eats with is central to, um, central to the story of the gospel. And, and in this particular parable, he's telling us who we should eat with. Um, looking specifically at that parable, um, in Matthew, this banquet, um, and when, he's, um, when Matthew's retelling the same story, he tells this banquet as a wedding banquet for the king's son. And this, so this banquet we see is of utmost importance and of significance. And I guess there's several ways to read this banquet. Um, a, lot of, um, yeah, a lot of theologians or other writers and commentators have pointed to this as being a parable about inclusion of um, the inclusion of Gentiles into salvation um, through Christ. Um, and I guess I, I'm kind of not taking the angle, but in preparing this message, I think that's the beauty of I guess Jesus' parables, in particular this one, that we can read it in such different ways that, um, that show um, how it's applicable to us and the beauty of it is how one reads it. And so I want to talk about four approaches. Um, I know, 4.7, not three. Um, one extra mile today. Um, four different ways. And I, I want to try to put ourselves in the shoes of different characters in this parable. So, and, and yeah, see what Jesus is saying to us through that. Um, so we're going to start with putting ourselves in the shoes of those who are invited 
but turn down the invitation, the, one, the ones with excuses, those who were invited later, um, those the, as the servant who is sent out to make those invitations, and finally as the host. And in each different, different ways, you may see the dinner we're being invited to or inviting people to in a slightly different light. Um, so just bear with me stretching this a little bit. Perhaps we're starting at, as I'm looking in the shoes of those who are invited and turned down the invitation. Just gonna drink water. Who with me so far? Yeah. yeah Silent? Cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> horrific, Zoe. Um, Zoe's made drinking noises as I drank. It was not great. Um, so these, these people are invited and, and then they make these excuses, right? First, I bought a field. I must go to see my, my new field. Um, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Um, I feel like that's me when I like buy any new gadget. I'm like, sorry, I'm too busy. I've got to go home and try my PlayStation. You know, uh, uh, please excuse me. And I just got married, so I can't come. Um, I tried that one today to get out of speaking, but um, no one, no one, no one let me. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and in this instance, I want to treat the dinner as something that we've been invited to Christ, uh, but invited by Christ, the King, to dine in. It's a table that Christ has invited us to come and eat. It's the one that we sit at his feet and dine on his word. And perhaps um, this for you is quiet devotion, as it is often the challenge for me, or true communal worship is the invitation that Christ is offering to you. And in these cases, Christ has offered us to come and sit with him and and I feel like, I guess this is not going to be the most, you know, this is not going to be the most novel message you ever hear in a church that you know, the distractions and excuses we give prevent us from sitting at the table of the king. But maybe this is a time of, um, yeah, maybe it's a time of an apt reminder, as it was for me, um, that there is an invitation here to prepare our lives in such a way that allows us to be able to respond to the, um, to the invitation of Christ. Um, because in this particular cultural um, setting, um, and I guess it's what the commentator said, but I feel like it kind of happens with us as well. Um, um, I recently had a wedding, and, and you'd, um, in this setting they said um, they would send out an invite in advance, um, so a year in advance for a wedding, for instance, and would say, this is the date. So it's a save the date, effectively, that happens. And so it's a save the date that says, you know, we're going to have this wedding feast in a year's time. And then when the food's prepared, when they've, you know, done the roasting, I don't know what they're doing, but um, they prepared the food, they send another, they send a messenger out to say, the food's ready, come and dine, come and eat. And so this is the, this is the invitation that's happening at this point. It's not like these guys have not heard of this inv- invitation before. These people have just have simply not prepared their lives in such a way that they are ready when the summons have come. And so maybe, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if we read it in this way, how often are we the people who make excuses because we haven't prepared our lives in such a way that we are able to respond to the invitation Christ gives us? So how do we arrange our lives so that the summons, when the summons come for the banquet, we are ready to come and dine with Christ? Point one, we are the invited. So let us prepare our lives to be ready. Now when the invited are given, give, give the excuses, the servant is sent out. And, says, and, and the Bible passage says, go quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, bring them in the poor, those who are crippled, those who are blind, those who are lame. The king insisted on having a full house. He went to the servant and yeah, asked them to bring all these people in who were seen as outcasts to this particular society. Jesus is making a clear commentary here. It's a clear commentary on the upheaval of the class system at the time. It's the upheaval of 
um, yeah, um, of, what, of what is socially acceptable at the time. Again, we have to remember where he's saying this. He's saying this at the house of the dinner of a prominent Pharisee who's invited his kind of close circle, his people who are of um, yeah, importance, and he's invited Jesus as kind of a celebrity of sorts, a roaming celebrity to come and dine in their house with them. And here Jesus is saying, um, look, we should, um, we should, the, the people who are invited to the table are those who are outcasts. It's a radical, it's a radical reshifting of the class system and what um, as seen as acceptable in that time. It's a social commentary. And it's, it's a continuation as well, right? But Jesus does not just say this once. He, he often talks about this idea of um, those who have much um, are prone to missing the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. The idea that these things, these things that we have are distractions from us um, accepting that. Without putting the social commentary aside, I'm reading it, I guess, in the shoes of those who are invited later. Um, I'm reminded once again of the father and mother heart of God that all are invited to participate at the table of Christ. That all are invited to participate at the table of Christ. We come, we're invited to come as we are. No repayments, no payments required, no needs for status, education, um, a robust theological understanding. Christ says, come and dine with me. This is the beauty of the parable, I guess, when I read it, is that Christ invites us to come as we are, when we feel we have nothing to give, nothing to offer Christ, but Christ has prepared the table for us to come. And I think maybe um, it worth us thinking about this today, it worth acknowledging in this time of pride that this is true for our um, yeah, LGBTQI, our queer whānau as well, that Christ is calling you to feast at the table of Christ just as you are. So point one, we are invited. So let us prepare our lives to be ready. And point two, we are invited in spite of what we are or others believe we can bring. And then the third lens we can see ourselves in potentially is the um, perspective of the servant who is sent out by the king, the servant who is sent out by the king. The servant is sent out three times to varying degrees of success. Um, and perhaps, this, I, I guess, when I was reading this, is a continuation of the sermon Scotty brought here last week about sharing the good news. And, and he's obviously gotten a lot more depth. Um, I think hopefully they'll be online soon. Is it? It's online. Um, I, I did record that. It's my, kind of my fault. Um, so imagine, for instance, the, I, I, I find imaginative exercises really helpful with parables. I don't know why. Just, I think particularly, I just imagine a servant running through the streets, finding anyone they can, see, kind of picking people off the streets and saying, you are invited to the wedding of the king's son. You are invited to the banquet and the feast of the king's son. How strange and how privileged it would be to be invited in that way. From my point of view, how exciting it would be from the, for the servant. I don't know if the servant in the story would have seen it that way. But how exciting it would be for me to, to see the excitement of those who have been invited in this way. And maybe this is, the preci- but this is precisely the message we bring, right? This is the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That you and everyone, regardless of who you are, are invited to come and feast at the table. We are invited to eat together, to dine together and... In, yeah, and in our quality. It is as in this parable, a social upheaval. It's to say you're not worthy simply because of your class or money or what you have, but rather because Christ has invited you as you are. So what a privilege it is to be a servant, to bear the good news of the gospel, to the good news of the banquet. So point one, we are invited. 
So let's prepare ourselves to be ready. Point two, we're invited in spite of what we believe we can bring, what, what we or others believe we can bring. And point three, we have been sent out to invite people to the feast. Okay, following so far, all good? Cool. I'm on my last one, so, you know, bear with me. Um, finally, um, I guess the question I asked was, what, if Jesus, what is Jesus telling us if we are the hosts? Again, we remember that Jesus is telling the story in the presence of um, people who are presumably um, of some status, and they've obviously invited him here to have dinner with him um, and hosting him there. And one commentator writes, one commentator writes about this and saying that, um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase through it. I, I wrote the whole passage and then I realized it was kind of a bit dense. Uh, but let's, I'll, I'll just try my best. Um, um, in this case, the prestigious company from whom um, Jesus is dining would have been lured in the story, um, identifying with the man who gave the dinner invited many, right? They identify with the person who made the invitation host. And the central question would be, does, the, does Jesus' audience include the poor among the table? Will they live according to these transformed social order, to the transformed social order in which the practices as dinner hosts are not oriented towards the noble, but towards the poor? Not towards status maintenance or advancement, but towards the implementation of a social order that privileges an uncalculating generosity to the poor, a radical generosity to the poor. Jesus here is calling for a transformation of hospitality to one that's not about status, but about unceasing generosity. And then the commentator goes on later in the lot of things they have to say uh, by saying that instead of, um, instead by extending hospitality to such people, so those who are outcasts, um, he has stepped outside of the ethics of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean world. In Jesus' earlier words, um, he has invited those who cannot repay him. Those who have, they have nothing to gain in terms of prestige or monetary enhancements participated in a new social order. He initiates a community grounded in gracious and uncalculating hospitality. Jesus here is asking, is, asking, is telling us that our invitation is for a radical, generous hospitality that invites those who cannot pay. There's a practical challenge here, I think, a really obvious one. For those, for those who here who are able, uh, what does your dinner table look like? What does your dinner table look like? Who are you inviting? And how do you expand that table, literally, to one that is in ways of generous and radical hospitality? You know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about this in a sense of, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, those who are needy um, can come in so many different ways, I think. And so how are we extending our table to those who are lonely, to those who are spiritually poor, to those who are financially poor, and we make our banquets, our, fa our family meals, our home meals, one of generous, radical hospitality? So point one, we are invited so that let us prepare our lives to be ready. Point two, we are invited in spite of what we or others believe we can bring. Point three, we have been sent out to invite people to the feast, to the banquet. And our final point, as the host, we are called to generous and radical hospitality. I was a little bit there. Um, there's obviously the kind of four parts. 
Um, and each of those four parts seem a little bit distinct, and obviously there's connection, but there's also disjointedness. And so maybe in the time of worship that will follow, um, led by Tai and Tash, um, and Jerome, so Jerome, uh, that there is an invitation to just meditate on one that calls out to you. Perhaps it is to say, what does it look like for me to open my table to more generous hospitality? Or perhaps it is to say, I'm in a space where I feel um, yeah, distant from God, but want to come to the table and receive all that God is offering, just as I am. So yeah, maybe it's time to, maybe it's um, a time that you can reflect and um, yeah, meditate on that. And we do have a station for prayer at the cross if, you, if that kind of um, suits you. And we'll have people there willing to pray for you. Um, yeah, Ty, if you want to jump on up. Awesome. Thanks, guys.